Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids. A show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Hey there, all my future paleontologists. How's everybody doing? Got to give a quick shout out. This week I spoke or did a virtual lesson for Mossman Elementary in League City, Texas. And then I also did three private lessons. Two of them were birthday gifts from their parents. And one was a gift from a grandparent. So they had me do private lessons for three individuals. And since they were private, I won't mention their names, but I want you to know how much I enjoyed doing them. And they were a lot of fun. It's always great to be able to speak to anybody. But um, doing virtual lessons to me is becoming just so much fun. And uh, I I enjoy them. And so I certainly love speaking to elementary schools and to students all over the world. And if any of you would ever like to have me speak to your group, just go to our website, dinosaurgeorge.com. So, so much stuff is going on still. Looks like we're going to have a busy summer. I've already got libraries contacting me about doing summer programs. Probably going to be virtual, but they may be live. But I'll be doing summer programs, so I'm looking forward to doing that. And uh, looking forward to staying busy all the time. All right. You know, we, uh, we just talked about mammoths in the last podcast. And I told you to make sure to put on your coat. Well, don't take your winter coats off yet because now we are going to Antarctica. What? You heard me. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. All right, this podcast episode is going to be about Cryolophosaurus. What an unusual dinosaur. I chose Cryolophosaurus because a lot of you have been writing questions about Cryolophosaurus. Some of my uh, Tyrannosaur Patreon members wanted to put Cryolophosaurus in a Who Would Win segment. And I've had a lot of people writing to me. Now, if you don't know who or what Cryolophosaurus was, it was a carnivore, a theropod. Theropods are meat-eating dinosaurs. This dinosaur is about 20 feet long and 7 feet tall. Weighed close to a thousand pounds, and this one lived in the early Jurassic period between about a hundred, uh, hundred and eighty-nine to one hundred and eighty-three million years ago. This is a very early carnivore. You know, when we think about the Jurassic, we usually think about the late Jurassic when we have Allosaurus and Torvosaurus and some of those big guys. But at the time, Cryolophosaurus was the largest predatory dinosaur on Earth. I can't think of one other carnivore that was bigger than Crylophosaurus, at least in the early Jurassic. 
Now, it was found in Antarctica. Antarctica back then wasn't like it is today. It was not frozen. There were um, certainly forests and, you know, streams and things that you would find in, in other parts of the world. So there were certainly dinosaurs there, and Crylophosaurus was the biggest of the bunch. Now, what is really odd about this dinosaur, and it just, it's still confusing, it is the weird crest on top of its head. It is this fan-looking thing. It's, it's very hard to describe. So if you want to look up Cryolophosaurus, I hope you do. Its name is spelled C-R-Y-O-L-O-P-H-O-S-A-U-R-U-S. Cryolophosaurus. That word means frozen crested reptile. Not because it was found frozen, but because the bones were frozen when they found it, because they found it, um, you know, recently. It, it wouldn't have been frozen back in the early Jurassic period. It probably would have been pretty hot. So a frozen crested reptile got its name because it is, uh, it, it, it lived or it was found in a place where everything was frozen because it's Antarctica. It's always cold there. But it has that crest, and that is the oddest thing about this dinosaur is the crest. It's, it's, it's very thin, and here's why I say it's odd. An animal that is a predator, that is, it gets in there and fights with other animals and grabs them and shakes them and does that sort of stuff that typical predators do to prey. When you have something on your head that is very thin and fragile, that seems to me like it would get in the way of a typical predator. So it begs the question then, was Cryolophosaurus acting like a typical predator? Was it out there terrorizing things? Or is it possible that it simply preyed on smaller things like lizards and little furry mammals and uh, little crocodilians and all the other little animals that were living in its environment? Maybe it wasn't hunting big game. Even though it was big. Now, because it's so much bigger than, than any other theropod at the time, that kind of also makes it hard to say because why would it be so big if it's not going to use its size as a weapon? Maybe what it did is it used those jaws and teeth like any other carnivore. It just probably was more aware of that crest on top of its head. The, the crest was made of bone. And it would suggest that if it's broken, it's not going to grow back again. When you break a bone, the bone doesn't generally grow back again. It can try to heal. You can get these weird lumps on it. But like if, if you broke your finger off, a new finger wouldn't grow in its spot. The remaining bone would heal, but it wouldn't grow back. So if it has that crest on its head and it breaks it, during a fight or during a battle with another member of its own family, I don't think it ever grows back. So I think they would have been a little more cautious. It is possible that this dinosaur did more like a scavenger than it was a, a major predator of big animals. If big animals died and it found them, it would absolutely eat them. And maybe it would chase away smaller carnivores if they made a kill. Because of its big size, it could be a bully. But I just don't know if I, I agree that Crylophosaurus would have been 
as much as of an aggressive predator as you would expect whenever you're looking at theropods. You know, when we look at pictures of theropods, all of our minds immediately go, ooh, man, that thing probably goes in and rips everything to pieces. And that's not always the case. So Cryolophosaurus, to me, is a sort of an anomaly, sort of an oddity, something that doesn't make sense to me. Now, it's got relatively long arms and it's got three fingers, kind of like an Allosaurus. And so it, it's, it's a unique animal, but it's really an early animal from the early Jurassic. So that makes it pretty unique in itself. And then the fact that it was found in Antarctica is spectacularly amazing. See, the problem with Antarctica, because it's always so cold, is they have very limited time to go up there and dig. There's only a certain amount of time in the year where it is warm enough to at least get the bones out of the ground without them shattering like glass. So not very much is known about the dinosaurs from Antarctica. There's some, but not not a great deal is known because the window of time to go out and dig is limited. So we're very lucky that scientists found Crylophosaurus. I will tell you something that I think is really sort of interesting. Um, they found bite marks on a Crylophosaurus skeleton that matched the tooth shape of another Crylophosaurus. We might have a cannibal dinosaur. We might have a carnivore that ate other members of its family. Woo, that makes it kind of a scary critter. Now, maybe that wasn't their, they certainly couldn't live off. They can't just eat each other because they would eat themselves out of existence. But if one of them died and it was a food source, then another Crylophosaurus made a meal of him. I don't think he went down and hunted him and ate him like that. Although I will say this, animals like alligators and crocodiles, the big ones will absolutely snag smaller crocodiles and eat them for a meal. So it may be possible that a big Crylophosaurus saw smaller Crylophosauruses as a meal. But then it gets back to that crest. Man, if you're going to take on a carnivore who's got weapons like yours, I don't know if he would do that or not. So, my opinion of Crylophosaurus is it is a crazy cool-looking dinosaur. It's got some pretty powerful arms. It has relatively large teeth. And it definitely is a hunter. But I think it's hunting smaller game, mostly, and would take advantage of any other food source it could find. And now the function of the crest. What was that for? Well... Some scientists believe that it would have been brightly colored. Now, it is not a weapon. You know, sometimes we see uh, when we're playing with our toys or we see like pictures of dinosaurs, we always think of the things on their head as being weapons. But in the case of Crylophosaurus, it couldn't be a weapon because it would be too fragile. It would break very easily. So Crylophosaurus is probably using that crest to attract a mate. Get a girlfriend. And the way to do that is to make them brightly colored so you can attract some other animal. The downside to having a big, bright colored head is that everybody can see you. But again, so if you're not hunting big game, I guess it doesn't matter to you. But the function of that crest is interesting because it kind of looks like an ocean wave or something on top of its head. It's so hard to describe on a podcast, but it's this weird looking thing. And 
it certainly served a purpose. It was there for a reason. Animals don't grow things on their body for no reason. There's a reason it's there. It's just that I don't know what it is. But my best guess is that that crest was probably, at least on the males, would have been brightly colored. And that would help them attract a girlfriend. Or maybe they were brightly colored as a warning to other males. If my crest is brighter than your crest, that means I'm older than you. And that means you need to get out of here. Because you know I'll eat you. (laughs) The evidence shows they'll eat each other. So maybe the crest was used as a way to scare off a rival. One of the things about the animal kingdom, animals don't just run up and start fighting with each other right away. There's too many things that can happen. Animals can get injured. They don't want that. So the first thing that you do is called posturing. That means you make yourself look big and you make yourself look tough and you hope that's enough to scare the other guy off. But if that doesn't work, then you do threats. You start to stomp and roar and move towards them and step back and open and snap your, you know, open and close your mouth, snap your jaws, make a popping sound. Do anything you can do to scare the other, the other guy off. And then if all that doesn't work and both sides seem about equally matched, then the fight begins. So animals don't want to fight because they can get injured. So maybe the function of that crest was sort of a warning device to tell other members of that species, you need to get away from me because I am going to have you for lunch. That's Cryolophosaurus. Let's answer a couple of questions. Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right, so let's get started with uh, Ricardo, age nine, from, I think it's pronounced Viach, in Austria. Wow. Welcome, Ricardo. So glad that you, uh, so glad that you um, joined us all the way from Austria. You know, one of the great things about, uh, about this podcast is that it's reaching people all over the world. It's reaching people all over the world. I now have members uh, I have members of our um, Patreon club. I have members from uh, all over the planet, Canada, Australia, Germany. Um, of course, we have them all over here in the U.S. So that's what I love about this podcast is that it reaches people all over. So Ricardo asks, can scientists bring some dinosaurs like Velociraptor back to life? Well, the answer is probably not, Ricardo, at least not now. The only way that they could do that would be to figure out a way to find DNA from dinosaurs. And although there's been some studies and people got pretty excited about the idea that they may have found DNA of dinosaurs, I don't know if they did. And if they did, it still doesn't mean that that DNA could be used as a way to make 
a dinosaur. You couldn't clone one from that DNA because it's too deteriorated. It's 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 broken apart. It's kind of rotted and gone. I don't know. One thing I will say about science, you never say never in science. You don't say that's not possible. It may not be possible today, but who knows what tomorrow's technology will bring. So, Ricardo, maybe one day we will see a living, breathing velociraptor. That would be kind of scary. All right. This next question came from the Dinosaur George Kids uh, Facebook group. It says, hey, DG and DG family. Jake and Lily have a question. Well, Jake and Lily, so glad you guys wrote to us. Uh, Said, we're from West Virginia. We've read conflicting information about any dinosaur fossils that have been found in West Virginia. Is it true that no dinosaur fossils have been found in West Virginia? Is there any North American dinosaurs that would have thrived in mountainous terrain? Okay. First of all, Jake and Lily, to my knowledge... They have not found dinosaurs in West Virginia, not to to my knowledge. But I do know that they have found a variety of different other kind of animals, like life that lived before the age of dinosaurs in the Permian, and then life that lived after the dinosaurs. The reason why I don't think they found any dinosaurs in your state, it's not that they didn't live there. It's just that the layer of dirt that their bones are buried in is not exposed anywhere. You can't see them because the bones are way down under the ground or they may have eroded away a million or two million years ago. So, for instance, if they're finding animals, like they find amphibians there that lived during the Paleozoic era, 400 to 300 million years ago, they're finding those animals. That means that all of the layers of dirt that covered those animals has eroded away. It's all gone. So there were dinosaur bones probably on top of the layer that used to cover those. But since that eroded and it, the wind and the rain and the, and the uh, mudslides and all that have destroyed all the layers that were above it. And those are the layers that had dinosaur bones. So at least in those places, you're not going to find dinosaurs because that layer doesn't exist anymore. Those bones turn to dust. Those fossilized bones are rocks and rocks will turn to dust as they erode. And then in another location where I know that they found uh, some Ice Age mammals, uh, big ground sloths, and I think, I think they found a bunch of other big mammals. I want to say, I want to say uh, mammoths as well, maybe. Now, those layers are relatively young. So the layers of dinosaur bones are way buried beneath those. So you don't get to see them. So that's why it's so hard to tell whether you had dinosaurs there or not. As to your last question, would they have thrived in mountainous terrain? You have to remember that during those ages, um, your state may not have had mountains at all. I believe the mountains came later on. I think they did. But even if they were there, there are dinosaurs that absolutely would have lived in mountains, but we don't know anything about those dinosaurs. And here's why. When a dinosaur dies, in order to become a fossil, its bones have to be buried in something. If they're not buried, if the skeleton is laying on the surface, the skin is going to rot and decompose, and those bones are going to break or or bake hot, hot in the sun and become very brittle, and they're going to basically turn into dust. 
Over time, those bones are going to simply disappear. You never knew the dinosaur was there. So in order to be buried, you have to live in a place where flooding or sandstorms will bury you. Mountains are not like that. You don't get buried in a flood in a mountain. Your body can get washed down the side of the mountain, but you don't get buried in it. The water just keeps going down the side of the mountain. You have to be in a floodplain. So any dinosaurs living in the mountainous regions, it's very unlikely that they are going to become fossilized. So, yes, I think there was probably thousands of different species of mountainous dinosaurs, but we just don't get to find them very much. Jake and Lily, thank you guys for listening. And thank you for uh, uh, going to the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group. Okay, Eli, age nine, from Harker Heights, Texas. Can you do a show about Dilophosaurus? It's my favorite dinosaur. You know what, Eli? I, I think I will do one on Dilophosaurus. I'll add that to the list. Thanks for the suggestion. I'll try to add that as one of the next uh, podcast subjects. I like Dilophosaurus a lot. Okay, Jonas, age eight, from San Antonio, Texas, my town. Uh, how do Tyrannosaurus rexes eat? Well, Jonas, they would have eaten a couple of different ways. If it was a smaller animal, they simply would have picked it up and swallowed it whole. If it was a big animal that needed to be torn apart, they could have stepped on the body with their foot, leaned down and grabbed the part of it with its mouth and pull back and break the body into pieces and swallow it that way. They didn't use their hands to eat because their hands couldn't reach their mouth. And so they would have eaten a couple of different ways. Okay, this next one is from Charlotte. Charlotte's a Patreon Club member. Charlotte said, do dinosaur fossils have specific names like fossilized poop is called a coprolite? Well, they're really not, Charlotte. They, I mean, they have names like femur and humerus and, you know, sca uh, scapula and, and a corcoid. They, the names of the individual bones, but there's not a specialized name for dinosaur bones. So coprolite is a word used to describe fossilized poop. So that's the word for that. But fossilized bone would be the word that would be used to describe fossilized bones. That's a very interesting question, Charlotte. I like that a lot. Okay. Ethan sends me a question and says, why would Deinonychus have evolved to hear both low and high frequency sounds when most other dinosaurs can only hear high frequency sounds. Ethan, what a great question. Ethan is also a Patreon club member as well. Uh, Ethan happens to be Charlotte's brother. So why would Deinonychus evolve to hear low frequency sound when most other dinosaurs can only hear high frequency sound? Ethan, my guess would be that some animals communicate with low frequency. An example of that is a crocodile. Alligators and crocodiles can communicate with low frequency noise. There were some studies, and I believe this is correct, that turtles can communicate with a low frequency sound. I believe that's the case. I think it's turtles. I'm going to have to ask my expert, Sal Scabetta, to, to tell me if that's right or not. Um. So why would they want to hear that if most animals don't use that to communicate? It would simply be to help find potential prey. If you can hear something speaking, then that means you know where to go to find it. So, Ethan, maybe they were simply eavesdropping on conversations to figure out where the animals were so they could go over and figure it out if they're going to have them for lunch. It's good questions, you two. Very good. 
Okay, Patrick, age 11, from Frisco, Texas. Are there any well-known dinosaurs that are still alive, like T-Rex or Megalodon? I'm not talking about chickens or birds. Okay, Patrick, very good question. So birds are dinosaurs, but what you're asking is, is there something other than birds that was a dinosaur that's still alive? The answer is no, Patrick. Now, Megalodon was a shark, so he doesn't really count as a dinosaur, but I see what you mean. You're probably talking about prehistoric giant animals. The answer is no. Um, There are no dinosaurs other than birds. There are no terrestrial dinosaurs alive. Terrestrial is a word that's used to describe an animal that lives on land. So terrestrial dinosaurs are not alive. Avian dinosaurs are. Those are birds. And yes, a penguin is a terrestrial bird. But um, but when you're talking about the terrestrial dinosaurs, no, there are no more terrestrial dinosaurs alive. I wish there were because that would be crazy cool. All right. When we come back. It's time for Who Would Win. Now you can bring Dinosaur George into your classroom, home, or facility anywhere in the world with our virtual lessons. We offer over 15 different topics, including dinosaurs, prehistoric mammals, rocks and minerals, and more. Any age, any location, and any time zone. Visit us at DinosaurGeorge.com. Ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, weighing at 10,000 tons, who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops? You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. We've got some great battles lined up today, my friends. Now, remember, if you ever want to submit a who would win, you have to be a Tyrannosaurus member of the Patreon Club. So let's start with my little bro, Zach. Uh, Zach, I call him my little bro. Zach's like a little brother to me. He's a great guy. Uh, Zach says, got a who would win for you, big bro. He calls me big bro. I call him little bro. Allosaurus versus Carcharodontosaurus. This is a good one. Whoa. Carcharodontosaurus. Let's look at him first. He's got the size. He definitely has the size advantage. He definitely. And you know, you, you guys, I always say he, when I talk about dinosaurs, I don't mean they're all boys. I just, that's just something I always say. I always, I always got to remember not to do that. Cause remember when it comes to theropods, maybe I should be saying she, cause most female there the female theropods were bigger than the males in most cases, but I always say he, but I just wanted to explain. I, that's just a habit I get into. So Carcharodontosaurus is going to have the advantage. It's got size. It's got weight. It's got uh, jaw power. It's got claws on its hands. Allosaurus is going to have one advantage over Carcharodontosaurus, and that's going to be speed. Now, neither of these are super fast dinosaurs. These are heavyweights. When these guys come into the ring, everybody else needs to get out of the ring because these guys are brutes. So the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to size each other up. 
Carcharodontosaurus is going to stand sideways to Allosaurus to make sure Allosaurus sees just how big it is. And then Carcharodontosaurus is going to do the mock charges where you take a couple of steps forward and you lower your head and you open your mouth and you go, dude, do you see what you're about to mess with? But Allosaurus knows it's got the speed. Allosaurus can run circles around Carcharodontosaurus. Allosaurus is going to try to attack from the rear, which is the only way you're going to take on this dinosaur. But don't be fooled. Just because your teeth are in your head doesn't mean that tail isn't a weapon. That tail is like a telephone pole. You swing that thing and you'll knock Allosaurus on the ground. So what I believe would happen is I think there'd be first the standoff and the challenge. And when they go at it, Allosaurus is going to try to flank Carcharodontosaurus. That means get around behind it. So Carcharodontosaurus is going to turn its big body trying to keep up with Allosaurus, who's running at top speed in circles around him. Once Allosaurus gets around behind him, then it can attack the back of its legs. But those feet have some incredibly sharp claws on them, and Carcharodontosaurus could absolutely kick those feet backwards. So Allosaurus is facing a tail. It's facing the foot claws. If it comes around the front, it's facing the hand claws, and then it's facing the teeth. I believe Carcharodontosaurus is simply too much for this battle. I love Allosaurus, but I've got to go with Carcharodontosaurus. All right, next, my buddy JW. Hey there, G. Who would win in this fight? T-Rex versus the short-faced bear. What an interesting battle this is. You have gigantic versus giant. You have powerful, powerful jaws on both sides. The short-faced bear, Arctotus simus is its scientific name. Arctotus simus is a brute. It is called the bully of the plains because it's got super long legs and it could move relatively quickly. It probably showed up and chased every other predator off from its kill. Short-faced bear is not used to running away. Now, when it sees a Tyrannosaurus Rex step into the ring, the short-faced bear is looking over its shoulder at his training going, Dude, why did you sign me up for this thing? T-Rex may look at him and go, This is going to be so fast. This is going to end. In, this, is, it's, this ain't going to be pretty, boys. This is going to go quick. But what T-Rex doesn't think about is the speed of a short-faced bear. T-Rex could never match that speed. And in a close-quarter fight... If the short-faced bear gets up under T-Rex, you've got problems. If he runs up and jumps up and grabs onto the stomach area of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, those giant claws could rip and tear. He could literally eviscerate the Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's a word that means to open up its stomach. Gross. It could slice open its stomach. Poor T-Rex would be like looking around going, what just happened? But that would only be if that bear could get in there fast enough with one good swipe of those claws. Because the minute he goes up under T-Rex, T-Rex is going to use his feet. And the foot of a T-Rex is giant. He would, he would crush. It would crush the short-faced bear. Even though I love this battle, even though I think this is a really interesting concept, the only way the bear is going to win is if he can shimmy up those legs and get onto the back of that Tyrannosaurus Rex. Game over. If this bear makes it up on the back, you guys remember in Lord of the Rings where Legolas went up onto that giant elephant-looking thing? 
That's what I envision with this fight. I envision the short-faced bear running right at him, sidestepping him, going right up the legs onto the back. If that does occur, then I think the short-faced bear would have a chance it could probably win. But that would only be, that would be the only way it's going to do that. Otherwise, it's just going to, it's just too big. T-Rex is just too big. Um, so I would say T-Rex is going to win. But once in a while, if the short-faced bear makes it, that's when it's going to happen. Good question, JW. Okay, Torsten says, I was wondering who would win. Dimetrodon versus Pteranodon. And he says, thanks, this is my favorite part of the show. Hey, I'm glad you like this part of the show, Torsten. This is an interesting one. Dimetrodon, a Permian animal, versus Pteranodon, a late Cretaceous pterosaur. Okay, Pteranodon obviously has an advantage of being able to fly. But the only thing that does is allows it to run off, right? It's not like that gives it some advantage in a fight. The only thing it can do is run away, fly off, get out of there. That's what it could do, and that's all that it could do. Whereas with Dimetrodon, he's, he's fighting on land, but that's his turf. And if Dimetrodon gets a hold of a Pteranodon, once again, we see a very quick battle where Pteranodon is going to be crushed in the matter of seconds. Because when uh, Dimetrodon clamps down with those jaws, game over. It would shake Pteranodon like a ragdoll, probably snap all of its bones. Man, that would be a nasty fight. Okay, Levi sends in Kentrosaurus versus Stegosaurus. Whoa! Two Stegosaurs going at it. This is interesting, too. These are two different Stegosaurs going at each other. Now, would that happen in real life? Absolutely it would. Absolutely it would. They would fight over things like territory or food. Now, these didn't live together, but it doesn't matter. You know the rules for, for who would win, or we call it Triple W now. Who would win? Triple W. So who would win? Kentrosaurus or Stegosaurus? Well, Kentrosaurus has more spikes on its back, but those won't do it any good in this particular fight because Stegosaurus is not is not going to attack from above unless it stands up on its hind legs. Let me rethink that a minute. Now, Kentrosaurus does have spikes on its shoulder, so that's going to help a bunch. Stegosaurus is probably, these two dinosaurs are probably going to get into a pushing match first, trying to shove the other guy, if they knock the other guy down, then they could turn and use the spike tail as a way to inflict the death blow. Stegosaurus is way bigger than Kentrosaurus. So Stegosaurus has weight. Stegosaurus has length. Stegosaurus has big spikes on its tail. The spikes on the Kentrosaurus's shoulders would be helpful, though, because it would keep Stegosaurus from getting up close to it. That would keep it from going up and ramming him on the side, knocking him over. And there is indication that Stegosaurus can stand up on his hind legs. So maybe Stegosaurus would stand up and maybe come crashing down on the back of, of uh, Kentrosaurus. But remember, Kentrosaurus has spikes up there. This might be a better even match than I'm thinking. Wow. I do th still think because of size, Levi... I think Stegosaurus is simply too big, and one blow of that tail 
And that's probably going to be the end of a poor Kentosaurus. But I sure like that fight. All right, Jeremy Quetzalcoatlus versus Indoraptor. Another one. You guys are picking the some cool battles between these very unusual animals. Now, Quetzalcoatlus is gigantic. It's a pterosaur. It's huge. And now it does have an ability to fight. You know, I just mentioned t- a Pteranodon doesn't have much of an ability to fight. I left out the fact that it's got that long, pointy beak. Torsten, maybe I need to reevaluate my idea about the Demetrodon-Pteranodon fight because it just dawned on me, talking about Quetzalcoatlus, how big that beak was. Man, that thing's a spear. So maybe Pteranodon could use it the same way. Inflict jabs. But the problem is that it would take quite a bit for both of these pterosaurs to lift off the ground. They can't fly off like a hawk or a small bird where one leap and they're gone. So you would be up close battling. And if you're that close to battling and you decide you got to get out, it's going to take you a moment to lift off. And that's when the trouble begins. Well, I think the same thing would be hap- would be happening, Jeremy, with Quetzalcoatlus and Indoraptor. Indoraptor is is designed, was built, was made to be a super predator. It's fast. It's got raptor in it, which makes it super fast. I don't think Quetzalcoatlus could stand much of a chance. Maybe he could get in one stabbing blow with that beak, and that could cause a lot of problems. But I don't think it would be enough to stop an Indoraptor. I think Indoraptor is going to be the champion of that particular fight. All right, Sean sends in uh, Diplodocus versus Stegosaurus. Man, these are so cool, you guys, with with herbivores going at it. I like this. All right, Diplodocus is gigantically huge. Stegosaurus, we've... Hey, there's two Stegosaurus fights. Stegosaurus definitely has the tail spikes, but Diplodocus outclasses this guy so much that Stegosaurus wouldn't have any chance at all this the the body of diplodocus is so high up off the ground stegosaurus's tail would never reach so the only thing stegosaurus could do would be to hit the animal in the leg but you have to get past the tail you have to get past the other feet you have to get past the size of diplodocus I think Stegosaurus, if it could land a couple of good blows into a leg, it could certainly slow it down. But I don't think that would be enough to stop Diplodocus. One bad leg wouldn't be enough to stop it. It still can stand on three. It can walk on three. And so, in my opinion, Sean, Diplodocus is going to raise up that foot. And when it steps on Stegosaurus, Stegosaurus's new name will become Pancakeosaurus. All right, here's the last one. This is from Ruben and Hugo from London, England. Hey, these guys are new members. Ruben and Hugo, welcome and welcome uh, to uh, to the group. And I'm so glad to have you with us from London. Okay, their choice is Pelagornis versus Pterodactylus. Wow. I don't know why everybody loved the pterosaurs this time. These were great. These were all very good. Reuben and Hugo, these are great for your first ones. These are very good. Pelagornis is the largest flying bird that we know of. It was a giant seabird. It didn't have teeth, though. Its beak was jagged and made it look like it had teeth, but that's actually the bone. And it's big. Pterodactylus is a very small pterosaur, 
who would have been like a fighter jet. So in this particular fight, we have a super bomber versus a fighter jet. Now, the fight would have to be in the air. I guess it could be on land. But if the battle took place in the air, I am going to say something I never thought I would ever say. Pterodactylus would kill a Pelagornus. In a fight in the air, Pterodactylus would kill Pelagornus. Here's why I say this. If you've ever seen hawks, eagles, owls, these are top predators. And yet, sparrows will chase them away from their nests by dive bombing them. The hawks have no hope of catching that that sparrow. It's too fast. It's whipping around like a jet. And the hawks will fly off and get away. They'll they'll flee. They're like, you whatever I did, kid, I'm leaving. I think Pelagornis is going to try to get out of there because Pterodactylus could come dive bombing from above. Pterodactylus could land on the back of Pelagornis Pelagornis, and Pterodactylus has a little beak with little teeth. He could start ripping out feathers and ripping out chunks of meat. In my opinion, Pterodactylus would land on the back in the air and start ripping the feathers and the skin off of Pelagornis, ripping off chunks and pieces. Pelagornis can't do anything. Oh, he can fly and change directions and maybe fly up and down to try to get that little guy off. But Pterodactylus is going to hang on with its hands and its feet. They're made for holding on. I think they were good climbers. Listen, he's hanging on and he's ripping and tearing. The only thing Pelagornis can do, nosedive into the ocean. Nosedive into the ocean. And when he hits the water, Pterodactylus is going to be knocked loose. Then Pelagornis can come back up, probably flap a couple of times and fly off again, probably like a pelican can. But Pterodactylus is not made for swimming. So if Pterodactylus can get to a vital organ quickly enough, he will win. But I think Pelagornis is going to go into different air maneuvers to try to get rid of it. And if that doesn't work, he's taking a nosedive into the ocean to get that little terror off of him. All right, my friends, that was the Who Would Win segment. Next, I am going to interview a T-Rex member. How would you like to be interviewed on a future podcast episode? Well, now you can. Become a Tyrannosaurus member of our Patreon club, and you might be chosen for an interview with Dinosaur George. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com to join the club. And now, let's meet a Tyrannosaurus Club member. All right. This episode's uh, Tyrannosaur member interview is going to be with Caitlin. Caitlin and I have been friends for a very long time, and we do one thing every single time we see each other, and that's we give each other a virtual hug. She started it, and ever since then, we always do it. So anytime that Caitlin writes to me or gets ready to log into something, she always writes virtual hug in parentheses. So she and I always give each other a hug. We gave each other a hug before we started. So Caitlin, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Good. How old are you, Caitlin? I am nine turning 10 this year. Whoa. What month is your birthday in? 
July. Nice. So you are a summer baby. That's really cool. So you are nine turning 10. What grade are you in? I am in first grade currently. Nice. So do you, do you like now, do you homeschool or do you go to an actual school? I actually do remote learning. Do you, do you miss going into school? Very much. Yeah, most people do. But you know what it sounds like, Caitlin? It sounds like by next school year, I think we'll have control of the virus and everybody will be back to going to school. So, you know, it was a tough year, but you'll get through it and everybody does. So at what point in time, Caitlin, did you realize that you like dinosaurs? Well, I'm not sure, but I believe when I started to like dinosaurs is when I lived in Alabama and I had had a, like, my size now, um, little triceratops that was robotic and you could feed it, you could ride it, and it was super cool. Right. So I think that's when I started to like dinosaurs. Nice. Now, do you... I know you like dinosaurs, but what about other prehistoric animals? Are there other things that you find interesting? Um, I do find the saber-toothed cat very interesting. Yeah, those things are amazing. And of course, they came in so many different varieties, right? There were so many different kinds of saber-toothed cats. Now, you said you lived in Alabama. Is that what you said, Alabama? Yes. So what state do you live in now? I currently live in Texas. And I knew that. I was just testing you to make sure you remembered where you live now. You're a Texan. That makes you a daughter of Texas. And that makes you and me cousins because we both live in Texas. That's cool. And you guys live up near Dallas, right? Up in the Dallas area? Yes. Very cool. Well, you know, one of these days I was I was talking to your mom about uh, sometime if you guys ever come to San Antonio area, then I hope you guys will stop by so I can show you all the fossils and bring you into the studio. And because we can record more interviews with you right here in the studio, and that would be kind of cool. So you like other prehistoric animals. What is your favorite dinosaur? If you can only pick one, what is your favorite? Um, Probably the long necks. You like the sauropods, the big ones. Did you ever, did you ever realize just how big those things were? Like, was it when you were older, did you finally realize, oh my gosh, those things are gigantic? Or when you were little, did you know they were giant? When I was little, I thought they were still big, but I didn't think they were that big. And then as I got older, I was like, oh my gosh, they're so big. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's amazing is you could stand up inside the heart of a sauropod. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? You could stand inside of an animal's heart. That'd also be very gross. You know what? I was just going to say that would probably be gross. So I don't know if you should do it or not. I know the sauropod would not appreciate you being in there. It would be like, why do I have a heartburn? Oh, there's a kid in me. (laughs) So I want to ask you something. Now, you posted some pictures on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. You posted some really cool pictures of some of these these models, some of these dinosaurs. What what was that? So um, I went to a dinosaur drive through, and um, what we basically did is we drive through, and they'd have little robotic dinosaurs on the sides, and then um, I think the biggest one was actually the T Rex. Ooh. 
Was it creepy at all? You no. like you liked them. That's not that's very cool. Now, one of the things I was very impressed is you mentioned some things that were wrong with some of those. Can you remember what some of those things were? Well, um, on some of the dinosaurs, the colors were off and the sounds weren't as accurate. Right. So as you went through, you were able to go wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> All right. When we talk about you, anytime I think of you, I think of two things that I always get a virtual hug from you. But here's the other thing I now think about when I think of you. It's that horrible little green creature. You keep bringing to our lessons. Would you please explain to me what that thing is? It's just a feisty pet. I don't know what it is, but the first time you ever brought it, it's this cute little furry animal that looks all cute. And all of a sudden, it you don't have it with you. Don't oh, get that thing out of here. You brought it with you. This little thing looks so cute and lovable. And then all of a sudden it becomes complete like that. It becomes completely. <laughs> that thing scared me half to death. The first time you ever brought it to one of our lessons. <laughs> Cause I was looking at it going, Hey, what a cute little stuffed animal. And then you made it look evil with these giant teeth. And I almost screamed. <laughs> Did you name that thing yet? Um, it's actually named Eddie. Eddie. Eddie Spaghetti, the meatballs are ready. I had a friend in school and I, his name was Eddie and I nicknamed him Eddie Spaghetti, the meatballs are ready. I don't know why, but that's the name. Every time I see that thing now, I'm going to say Eddie Spaghetti, the meatballs are ready. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if, let me ask you, that: do you like uh, being in the Patreon club? Do you like being in the club member? Yes. Do you like the lessons? Very much. I'm glad. You know, one of the things that... that what I'm one of the things that I'm a little concerned about, Caitlin, is we're getting so many new members. Like when we have our lesson tomorrow, I think we're going to have something like 20 new members, maybe more than that. And so there's going to be so many members. It's going to be hard to to let everybody talk. It's going to be hard to do. I, I hope that doesn't happen, but that's going to be kind of hard because one of the things I like with you is that when I ask questions, your hand always goes up. You always think about your answers. You're very scientific. Your brain, you have a very smart brain because you're very scientific. So that's why I'm glad that you're a member because you do a lot. You participate. You you ask questions. I just enjoy having you as a member, and I'm glad that you enjoy it. Now, living up in Dallas, have you guys had the chance to go to any museums up there? Um, no, not that I remember. Well, there's one called the Perot Museum. Now, of course, I don't think you can go now because it's probably not open, but that's a museum I think you would like. So once things get better and we're able to start going out, I think you should go to that museum. But the one museum I definitely want you to go to is the one in Houston. Have you ever been to that one before? No. Oh, it's amazing. The first one you said, I have actually went to that one. Oh, you went to the Perot. Did you, do you remember it? Did you like it? I don't really remember it now. Yeah. Cause it was probably like last week and you're so old, your brain forgets, right? <laughs> did you, did you take that green Eddie spaghetti, the meatballs already with you? Maybe that's why you forgot. Cause they threw you out. No, I got him at Christmas. <laughs> what, 
What kind of a Christmas gift is that? Who would have given you such a horrible little creature for Christmas? <laughs> I love that thing. I hope you always bring it with you to the meetings. Everybody, all the new people are going to go, oh, look, that girl's got a cute little animal. <laughs> all right, now I have a hard question for you. This is a super hard question. If you could go back in time and you could see one kind of animal, whether it's a saber-toothed cat or a dinosaur, what do you think you would like to see? Um, I'd probably like to like stand next to one of the bigger dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go in the heart? Because I can arrange that. Nope. You don't want to be grossed out? But it would be, you'd get slimed. It would be hilarious. You'd come out. Uh, you'd love it. You'd come out and your mom would be like, uh, child, you need to take a shower right now. <laughs> but the way that I'd probably get out is because my fellow Eddie. <laughs> yeah. You're Eddie Spaghetti the Meatballs. That thing would, that would, would you make, stop making that thing look so evil? That, <laughs> that, thing, <laughs> that thing is the funniest pet I've ever seen. I wish they had those when I was little. I would have loved it. Have you scared anybody with it? Oh, no. you're such a good girl. Now, do you have any brothers or sisters? Yes. What do you I have? I have a brother and a sister, and I'm the youngest. Whoa. So is your brother the oldest or the middle? Yeah, he is the oldest. Wow. And how old is your brother? Do you know? He is 16, and he's turning 17 this year. Oh, wow. So does your brother take care of you, or does he drive you crazy? He drives me crazy and tries to annoy me 24-7. That's his job. You understand? <laughs> that's his job. I had two sisters. I still drive my sisters crazy. That's my job. Every morning I wake up, Caitlin, and I go, I wonder what I could do to drive my sisters crazy today. I have an idea. You could take two pants and slam them together and wake them up. <laughs> <laughs> they don't live around me anymore. They moved. They're like, uh, this guy's too crazy. <laughs> And so your sister, how much older is your sister? You said you were nine, right? How old is your sister? My sister is 13. Oh, so you guys are pretty close. Are you are you good friends with your sister or right now you kind of like being by yourself? Um. Well, we're more um, together, but every once in a while um, we are kind of separated. Sure. Yeah. And that's pretty normal. One of the things you'll learn as you get older is you'll learn that you'll absolutely love your brother. I know that sounds crazy, but you'll learn. You'll absolutely love your brother. Well, you probably love him now, but I mean, he won't drive you crazy anymore. You'll be surprised. It'll happen. I know you don't believe me, but it will happen. One day he's going to walk in your room and go, uh, Caitlin, I just want to give you a virtual hug. And you will pick up your Eddie Spaghetti, the meatballs are ready, and scare him out of the room. <laughs> so would you, do you think it'd be fun to go digging dinosaurs? Do you think that would be fun? Would you like to do that? Yes. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of hot work. But I bet you would enjoy it. I mean, I, I enjoy doing it a lot. And I know you would too. Again, it's very hard work. Now, there's a lot of places around Dallas where you can find fossils. Have you ever found a fossil before? Well, we we didn't find it, but um, we had went to a store and we had 
found it at the store. Right. I think I've already showed this on one of the meetings some time ago. Um, it was the little, like, tube-shaped, and it had all the different little um, sea creatures. Oh, yes. I rem- Okay, now I remember. Very good. Yes. Well, you know, it doesn't matter where you find a fossil. It's just amazing to get to hold one. Have you ever, do you have any in your collection? Do you have a collection of fossils yet? Um, not really, but this is. Oh, there it is. That is an orthoceros from Morocco. Those are a bunch of them. Orthoceroses were animals that looked like squid and they lived in those bullet shaped shells. You have a, you have a group of those. That's that's a beautiful specimen because there's actually a a bunch of them. It is like a, family. a little family. That's exa- that's exactly what it was. And let me tell you something, Caitlin, because they were all found together, it could have been a family. So it's certainly possible. Yeah, that's called Orthoceros. Those things, I think they're 400 million years old. I think they were from three or 400 million years ago, long before dinosaurs ever existed. In fact, they were alive before... Animals lived on the land, I think. I think the only life was in the ocean. I think that's how far back they date. That's crazy. So you have a piece of history. That's pretty amazing. Well, I know that they find a lot of ammonites in in and around Dallas. Uh, There's lots of places. You know, there's a book called The Roadside Guide to Texas Geology. I think that's the name of it. And it actually tells you places where you can go look for fossils yourself. So maybe one weekend when when you guys want to get out of the house, you guys can take a short trip and go try to see if you can find your own fossils. Once you find your own, you're hooked for life. You're going to want to do it all the time. And, you know, one of the things, if I ever get a chance, if I get to go back up to Dallas to hunt fossils, I'll let you know and I'll take you with me. So I'll take you and your family with me and we'll go out and we'll dig. The only rule is going to be there's only one member of your family who does not get to. Okay. You just picked him up. I didn't even say it yet. And you reached over and picked up any spaghetti, the meatballs already. That's the only, (laughs) that's the only thing that doesn't get to go because it terrifies me. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That is hilarious. So is there anything about paleontology? that you don't really understand that you and I can talk about today? Is there something that doesn't make a lot of sense or do you think you pretty much understand everything? Um, I'd probably say I understand it. Good. That's good. I'm, and I'm glad to hear that. And I told you one of the things that I really like is during our lessons, you always have the right answer. So I know, you know, a lot. And, and another thing is a lot of times you have your hand up, but I'll call on somebody else. It's the same thing that I told Owen. I know you guys know the answer. I know you do. I can see from the look on your face. But sometimes I call on some of our other members just to give them a chance because some of them are shy and they don't raise their hand as much. But I want you to know that every time you raise your hand, I'm so proud of you, Caitlin. I always think the same thing. I'm like, you are such a smart young lady. I'm so glad that we are friends. And I like that you named yourself Caitlin Raptor, which is crazy. Because now you've beca- you've got your own raptor name. So Caitlin Raptor, because we have Emilio Raptor. Now I've got Caitlin Raptor. So I'm going to have a whole pack of raptors. 
<laughs> you just better not attack and eat me one day. Well, Caitlin, I enjoyed talking to you. I really liked getting to know about you, and I am so proud of you. And other than your little green menace, this has been a great time. It's just your green meanie scares me half to death because of that face. I do not, <laughs> do not put that up to that camera, Missy, because I'm watching you keep, make sure. Oh, it looks hot, but it's so cute. Look at its cute little face. Oh, it's got cute little eyes and a cute little nose. Look at that cute. What am I talking about? I love that thing. Ah! And please tell me that was a dog and not that animal that just went crazy. It was my dog. <laughs> What's your dog's name? Mouse. And my other dog's name is Nix. You said your dog's name is Mouse? Uh, you know a mouse and a dog are not the same thing? That's like naming your dog Elephant. Hello, this is Elephant. Uh, excuse me? Yeah, he's an elephant. And what's your other dog's name? Nix. Nix. How'd you come up with those names for dogs? Well, I'm not sure how we came up with Mouse, but for Nix, I actually had to teach her Miss Nix. But um, we didn't actually come up with it by that. Right. We just came up with it because we were... We found a thing that was Nick's Goddess of Night. Yes. Nice. Oh. That's cool. And Mouse is the Goddess of Cheese. What? <laughs> I just made that up. I'm sorry. There's not a lot of jokes in my industry, Caitlin. I got to use whatever I got. Well, Caitlin, I have really enjoyed this. Did you have fun with this interview? Yes. I am so glad. And would you like to say anything to anybody? Because let me tell you something. People all over the world are going to hear you. There's going to be people in Australia. We have people in Germany. We have people in India, Africa, China. We have people all over the world. Is there anything you would like to say to people all over the world that's been listening to this? Um, well, um, first of all, a virtual hug to everyone. How nice is that? And then um, – I hope you guys all enjoy dinosaurs because I definitely enjoy them. They're very cool to learn about, and I hope that everyone else likes them too. Caitlin, you have been the best. Thank you so much. Oh, Caitlin, I sure enjoyed talking to you. You're certainly one of my favorites. All right, everybody, that is it for this podcast. If you have a subject matter you would like to hear me speak about, Either go to the website, DinosaurGeorge.com, click on the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page, and there's a form right there that you can submit your question. Or become one of the group members of the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group. Totally free. You just have to sign up to be a part of it. And you can send your questions and your uh, suggestions there. And finally, I'd love for you to become a Patreon member. Memberships start at only $1 a month. To be a Triceratops member, it's only $5 a month. To be a Raptor member, or it's $10 a month to be a Tyrannosaur member. And if you're a Tyrannosaur member, you get to submit 
hey, who would win? Until next time, everybody, I hope you guys are doing well and staying safe and taking care of your friends and your family. And remember, if you know somebody that likes dinosaurs, please tell them about our podcast. It is growing like crazy. Listening to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club, and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks, and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge. Yeah.